there's an outline in your bulletin this morning. You can follow along and uh, we'll go through. Uh, some context for this morning. We are in a series called The Followers. We're looking at the people who followed after Jesus. What did their lives look like and how can we replicate that? Uh, this morning, our unique follower is Judas Iscariot. And he is the one who we all immediately think about the betrayer. And maybe the, the tension, the temptation this morning is to just disconnect because you don't have any plans in your life right now to betray Jesus, to walk away. And, and so many of us, we don't relate to where Judas ended up. So I want to back up his story a little bit so that we might be able to connect with some of those beginning departure points and to look at his life and then to examine our own to see if maybe there is something in us that is not following Jesus to the extent, to the calling that a true follower of Jesus should be. So uh, that is who we're talking about this morning. Uh, the outline, it says, Judas, he is the follower who faked it. Now, uh, during my childhood years, um, we would often play and get in fights and you'd get hurt and then oftentimes you'd either really feel like you were hurt or then sometimes you were just faking it. For some reason as a youth, uh, when I was learning to ride a bike, I could ride a bike but I continued to have the same mistake that happened to me over and over again and this was it. When I would ride the bike, I would turn around because I'd think I hear a car and the next moment I would have crashed into the back of a car in front of me. Um, and it's kind of cute if it happens once, it's a mistake, but this happened to me five, six, seven times as a child. Um, I, I master, I'm pretty good with a car, I, can, I don't have the same issue. But I remember riding with a friend one time, and we're kind of getting some velocity heading down a hill, and for whatever, it's that same thing. I think I hear a car, you turn around and you look, and I was going really fast this time, and as I was driving my bike, just bike pedal, not like bike Dave Mitchell bike, but, uh, but just pedaling, and I hit the back of this car, and like normally I would just hit it and stop and fall over. This time I launched off of the bike, over the car and landed on the hood on my back. There's the guy who owned the car who was in his garage and he just kind of looked at me. I remember like just kind of, oh. And you know you do that like system check, right? Like just, okay, we got to reboot now. And like, all right, fingers are working, toes are working, all right, my neck. And then, but my friend comes around the car and says, you're totally faking it. You're totally faking it. I'm all, I can't get up right now. And took, a, took some time for him to actually like believe like, oh, this is really, like he is really, really hurting. And this is a scenario that comes up. Now, I, your extent, your experience with faking it, faking it can come in a, a lot of different areas and we have faked it at some point in our lives. Um, some of it is kind of just fun and necessary. We play games with our kids, but some of it's more important, right? We fake it in relationships. You could be faking it with your spouse. You could be faking it with your kids. You could be faking it in your friendships. You could be faking it in your work relationships. You might hate your boss, but you are faking it because you want to keep your job. It's not the case for me. 
But if I was faking it, you would never know. <laughs> you might fake it as a fan. Like, you might be, like, all out, like, as a sports junkie, and you really aren't. Um, so there's, there's lots of ways and lots of places that this comes up. The one I want to talk about and, and zero in on this morning is it's our, it's our relationship with God. Um, if you're here this morning, um, you are more susceptible to being fakers because the people who are not faking it didn't bother to show up to church this morning, right? You're here. Um, you had an opportunity to fake it as we just went through worship. Um, so there, there's these areas where we have these temptations. And, and I understand, like, there are mornings when I, I get here and, and I'm just, I'm not connected. I'm not connected with myself. I'm not feeling connected with the Lord. But there's a difference between having an off morning and then you're just not living that life that you have been called to. And so my heart for us this morning is to really just pause and to look and to say, am I, am I faking this? What, what is it in my relationship with Jesus that's honest, that is true, that I am in it for him, or am I here, am I doing this for another reason? Um, there's this word uh, called hypocrite, um, and it, it comes from this, this idea of uh, those who would wear a mask, the stage actors. Um, I didn't have time this week to get something less scary, but this is it, this is what we got, right? So here's, here's a mask, I'm going to move the little string, but... Here's the mask, but the idea was back in the day when you were like Greek theater, Roman theater, uh, they would have the masks and the actors would be out on the stage and it was entirely men who were acting things out. Um, so if you wanted to play the part of a woman, you'd have to change masks and you could go through the, the morning. I feel bad for people who are just walking because they look, what's going on here? But anyway, um, <laughs> you... You would wear the mask and you would depict and the, the mask could change over the course of the, the play and, and it's depicting something that is going on. But if you look at, at what's going on on this definition, it says, for what they claim to be, they're really not. They are just acting a role. But when no one is looking, i.e. the audience is gone, the audience is left, they revert to their true self, which is someone quite different. This is the story of Judas. This is the story of some of us. And where we need to examine ourselves this morning is that not all who claim to follow Jesus are faithful to him. Not all who claim to follow Jesus are faithful to him. I want us to unpack this in two different areas where you can be a faker on the inside and a follower on the outside and as David prayed, Lord, give me an undivided heart that I don't have to be one person when I'm with everybody else and another person, my true self, when everybody else is gone. So we're going to dig into uh, the story of Judas. Uh, so if you could, we're going to bounce around between John 6 and 12 and 13. And then you can also put your finger in Matthew 26. And we'll go through some of these passages together. And I want to start in John chapter 6. 
When we look at this idea of being a faker on the inside, I want you to understand that Jesus knows the heart of a faker. When Jesus walked here on this earth, he was in community and close proximity to Judas, and he still knew Judas's heart. The, the context for chapter 6, Jesus earlier on, he's saying, I am the bread of life. And he says some things that are a little bit like hard for the Pharisees to get and even hard for the disciples to get. He's, he's saying, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And they're trying to figure out everything that's going on. And later on, in chapter 6, verse 60, uh, the, the disciples are saying, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, he said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. He is speaking this to the people who are following him, people who would be called followers or disciples. But there are some of you, in verse 64, who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who it was that would betray him. From the very beginning, Jesus was not blindsided by betrayal. He was not blindsided by Judas from the very beginning. And Jesus went out and he chose his disciples. It's interesting, you look at the disciples, 11 of them came from Galilee. Judas was the outsider. Uh, this, this name, Judas Iscariot, uh, he's the son of Simon Iscariot. Uh, it, most likely this place uh, called Kerioth in Judea. It's talking about the place that he came from. But Judas was this outsider, this guy who kind of came from the outside, but he kind of blended himself in. And in many ways, he did not belong. Um, and in many ways, Judas tried to fit in. And, and there's this definition. I want you to understand the definition of belonging versus fitting in. Fitting in, which I think is what Judas was doing, is assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted. You look at a situation, you figure out, okay, all of these people are like this. If I'm going to be fitting in and accepted, then I need to become like all of these people. It's different from belonging. Belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. And so Judas finds himself among the 12 chosen, and now he is following Jesus, but there's some tweaking that is happening for him to actually fit in. And so Jesus, from the very beginning, sees this, and Jesus knows this. Um, there are prophecies, and you can go through some of these, but I just want you to hear uh, um, two of these. Um, Psalm 41.9, this is a prophecy of Jesus being betrayed. It says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Later on in Psalm, Psalm 55, verses 12 to 14, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. If it was my enemy, we expect our enemies to betray us, to come against us. I could bear it, nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. Jesus, from the beginning, he knew the heart of this faker named Judas. 
And there's a point in Judas' story where he became disillusioned. And you and I, we can become disillusioned with Jesus. And I believe this is a place where you and I can connect with Judas. And I, I love even how Dave talked last week when we talk about Thomas, that sometimes this disillusionment starts with some doubts that go unchecked. And we let them go, we let them play out, and we don't ever really examine, we don't bring them to God. And th- that doubt can lead to disillusionment, and then it can lead to denial. It can lead to betrayal. And so I want us to look in John chapter 12, and we're going to see the beginning of, of Judas and his moving away from Jesus. So John chapter 12, I'm looking in verse 1. It says, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, he came to Bethany, where Lazarus was. The chapter before, Lazarus was dead and then resurrected, made alive by Jesus. Came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they had made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. And La- but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him, with Jesus. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. All right, we've heard this story before. She takes something very expensive and she is anointing Jesus' feet. And there's a strong reaction that comes from Judas as he is watching this. And this is what it says. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, which is also very interesting. Every time you see the word Judas, there's always the the tag after it, who betrayed Jesus, who was going to betray Jesus. He said, he he sees what's going on and he speaks up and he says, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? This is a lot of money. This is expensive perfume. Uh, the, The idea of 300 denarii is about a year's worth of wages. That's expensive, right? Like... I remember going to the Nordstrom counter one time and they said, like, here, look at this cologne. It has flecks of gold in it, right? Like, it's unbelievable. I don't know why. There's another one that had sawdust in it, so I probably went for that one. But this is expensive stuff. And she is pouring it out on his feet. Judas is kind of enraged at this point. And so he says, we should take this. Why are you putting on his feet... Jesus, why are you allowing this to happen? We should take this, sell it, and then we could give it to the poor. Verse 6. Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he's the treasurer of the group, he used, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Does Jesus know his heart at this point? Yes. He was a thief. John is writing this after the fact, so he kind of has 20-20 vision, and he's saying, he's a thief. He used to take the money, just skim a little bit off of the top. Jesus doesn't call him out yet, though. It's interesting. Jesus knows, and he could say, Judas, I know why you're saying that. You've been taking money and you just want to pad your pockets a little bit more. But Jesus says, let her alone that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, 
for Judas, Jesus is not meeting his expectations right now. He's, he's upset. And so he's looking at the situation. But this is like the straw that breaks the camel's back for Judas. This story is recounted now in Matthew 26. So if you could go there with me. I want you to see what happens after this. It's the same story, and you can get the context. So it's Matthew 26. If you read the same context in verses 6 to 13, right? In, in this time, it's the disciples who are enraged, and Judas is asking the question. They're all like coming in like, yeah, what are you doing this for? We, could, we need this money. We could give it to the poor. We could do so much more with our ministry. And then what happens is, because... Judas is becoming disillusioned with Jesus and everything's not going as he planned. It says, Then one of the twelve, in verse 14, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? They weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him and from then on he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. It's interesting, I really never connected those two stories together. But you put them together and you see that there's something going on for Judas where Jesus didn't do what he wanted him to do. Judas is attaching himself to Jesus for reasons other than he should have. He is looking at this person of Jesus and saying, just like all of the other disciples, by the way, He's coming in, he's going to overthrow Rome, he's going to set up the kingdom, and if we are close, if we are in proximity to him, then we are going to have a seat at the table when this thing goes big. Judas is thinking, I'm going to get to be really big. He, he had to have been trusted in a big way because he was the treasurer of the group. He was an outsider who was now fitting into the group. He knew he didn't belong because he's changing what's going on in his heart, and He's looking at this and, and Jesus let him down. If Jesus did what Judas wanted him to do, he would say, whoa, Mary, hold on. Is that, is that the, the perfume with the gold in it? Hey, let's sell that. Let's take that and then let's like blow up ministry. Let's go really big. Let's go give all kinds of people all kinds of stuff. But he didn't. And that was Judas's expectation and Judas was disappointed and it leads to his disillusionment. Um, he's not the only one. You look at like conversations that take place. James and John say, hey, when you bring in your kingdom, can we sit on your right and left? So sometimes when our approach, when we are looking at our relationship with Jesus, we are not looking at, at, at Jesus and drawn to him as Jesus, our Messiah, as the person of Christ, but we are looking at Jesus as a means to the end. Heart check. Why are you in this relationship with Jesus. What is it that brought you here? What is it that drew you here? Not just to come to church, but to have this relationship with Jesus. Do you love Jesus as your savior, as the atonement, the forgiver of your sins? Or are you getting something out of Jesus that he maybe is not really offering? That, for me, is like a gut check. It's a heart check. Am I faking it? Am I here and getting something else out of it? Does it look good to my wife? Is this the kind of life that I wanted my kids to see, but really I'm not totally invested? 
Because what happens is if we are faking it, there comes a point where Jesus does not do what you want him to do. And then we snap. And we walk away. Talk to somebody even just between services. He, I, I know him because he grew up in our ministry and watched him grow up to be this little thing to now he's a towering giant over me. But he said... I I didn't, there's a point in my life, and I, I, he just kind of disappeared off my radar as well, but like, he said, I just stopped going to church for five or six years. He said, I tried to do everything myself. He said, I even made fun of Christians. He said, I've messed up too many times. I I would go to jail, and I'd come out, and I keep messing. I tried to do everything on my own, and he said, I need to come back to my roots. I need to come back to Jesus, not for what I can get, but for, for what he is to me. So, do we become disillusioned? Are you disillusioned with Jesus? Has he let you down? And the interesting thing is that we, we do this and, and we just kind of become habitually entrenched in some of, of our actions. And so we just, we just forget. So, Jesus doesn't meet our expectations. We get disillusioned. But also when he doesn't give us what we want. I, I want to look um, ahead and I want us to even see that as, as he's asking this question, he's saying, what are you willing to give me? It says they weigh out 30 pieces of silver. There's, there's uh, different discussions, but that could have been anywhere from one month to four months of, of money. Um, but in Exodus, it talks about how 30 pieces of silver was the price of a slave. That Jesus was sold to the, the chief priest for the price of a slave. So we look at the life of Judas and we get some inside look at his heart and he's a faker. But everybody else who was around him looked at him and they said, no, no, no. I know Judas. Judas is a follower because of everything that is happening on the outside with him. And I want us to understand that we can look like a disciple. We can smell like a disciple. That doesn't mean that we are disciples. You can look like a Christian. You could have come here. You could have even brought your Bible. You could hold your hands up when you're worshiping. But that doesn't mean that you are a follower of Jesus. Not all who claim to be followers are actually followers of Jesus. Um, Go back to John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, we're going to pick up on this story that we had read a little bit of. And now we're going to be finishing up. Before we read from verse 64, it says, there were some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And then we move on in the story. Jesus is talking and he's dividing the crowd. And in verse 66, it says, as a result of the words of Jesus, as a result of this, many of his disciples, many of his followers were withdrawing. They withdrew and they were not walking with him anymore. Some of you were already there. You have walked away from him and now you have come back. Some of you, this is your first day back. Welcome. Jesus says to the 12, so we know that Judas is here. He's among the 12. He says, you don't want to go away also, do you? And Peter chimes in and Simon Peter answers him and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered and he said, did I myself not choose you, the twelve? I chose you. Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. One of you is a devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. 
everybody else, all of the disciples in that circle, when Peter is talking, we believe in you, we're following you, you are the Holy One of God, Simon Peter is talking about Judas in there. Because on the outside, he looks like he is a follower, even though on the inside, he doesn't. I love that this idea, this passage right here, it shows us that when everybody else left, Judas stayed. He looked like a follower on the outside. And I think that when we, when we look at our actions and what we're doing on the outside, here's the thing that's really convicted me, is that we can give our lives to Jesus, but we can never give him our hearts. If you're here this morning, in some respects, you are giving your life to Jesus. You're making the sacrifice of, of showing up here. You're worshiping. Some of you are serving. Some of you are going to hang out with preschools at light and night. I mean, if, what greater sacrifice would there be than that? There's greater ones. But you can go through all of the motions. You can say, yes, Jesus, I give you my life, but really your heart is far from him. And so this story continues. Our outward living can not only fool others, but we can actually fool ourselves. Um, Will you join me in uh, Matthew 26? Bless you. We're going to get into the betrayal. I want, I want us to see what, is, what Judas is doing because there's this scene that takes place around the Passover Seder, the meal. And Jesus is talking to his disciples. And in Matthew 26, remember the context just before this, he's already gone to the chief priests. He kind of ran a mile and a half from Bethany into Jerusalem where the chief priests were. He makes this deal, 30 pieces of silver. He comes back and now it's the meal. And in verse 20, Matthew 26, 20, this is what it says. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with his disciples. As they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. This has come up a few times already. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. Okay, there's 13 people here, Jesus plus 12. He says, one of you will betray me. They all look around. It's not me, not it, not it, not it. Jesus says, all right, I'm going to set this up for you. The one who dips his hand with me in the bowl, that's the betrayer. All right, I'd be sitting on my hands at that point, right? It's not what happens. The Son of Man is to go just as is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been betrayed born. The plan of God is that he was. And Judas, in verse 25, who was betraying him, said, surely it is not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. If you're one of the other disciples and you're watching this scene take place, are you starting to look a little bit more careful at Judas? Nod your heads. Yes. Okay. While they're in this meal, they're, Jesus is calling him out. And he, he even outwardly, he's saying, surely it is not I, Lord. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm assessing the situation. And in order to fit in at this moment, I see everybody else who is saying, 
it isn't me, it isn't me. And Judas comes in and says, surely it is not I. And then Jesus looks at him and says, you've said it yourself. Okay? Now the story continues. Go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 1. We get it from a different perspective now. Now before the feast of the Passover... Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 2, during the supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper... And laid his garments aside, taking a towel, and he girded himself. Jesus knows he's about to be betrayed. We know that Satan had already put it into the heart of Judas. He is betraying him in thought. It's about to happen indeed. And Jesus' reaction is he gets a towel on and now he washes their feet. In verse 10, we're going to skip through a few passages here. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean but not all of you for he knew the one who was betraying him for this reason he said not all of you are clean go down to verse 18 I do not speak of all of you I know the ones I have chosen but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled and then we go to Psalm 41 that I read earlier he who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me verse 21 When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in his spirit. The countdown timer is ticking and he knows it. And he testified and he said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another, listen to this, at a loss to know. At a loss to know of which one he was speaking. Is Judas doing a really good job on the outside looking like a follower? Is he a wretched faker on the inside? Yes, His closest friends, they've been traveling together three, three and a half years, and they have no idea. They are at a loss to know who has betrayed Jesus. They are looking around like, who could it be? Verse 23, there was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. I love that John is referring to himself here. John is the the beloved, the disciple that Jesus loved, in contrast with Judas, who is the disciple who betrayed Jesus. Verse 24, so Simon Peter gestured, nodded over to him and said, hey, tell us whom it is that he's speaking of. And he leaned back on Jesus' bosom. He kind of said, Lord, who is it? Who is it? Who's the betrayer? And Jesus said, that is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. Big clue coming up. So when he dipped the morsel, he took it and he gave it to, can you imagine? Like, please don't pick me. Please don't pick me. Goes to Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, after the morsel, he takes the morsel, the bread, Satan then entered into him. It's you! Judas! How could you? You betrayed him! No, not these disciples. After the morsel, Satan entered him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, Judas, what you do, do quickly. It's interesting that Jesus before, when he could have called him out and said, look, Judas, you only care about the perfume because you want to pad your pockets. You want more money. You were a thief. I've been watching you. I know. 
His hour had not come yet. This is the point. And he looks at him and he says, What you do, do quickly. Verse 28 is just mind-boggling to me. Now none of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said it to him. Okay, if you ever like aspire, you say, I wish just God just make me as faithful and as wonderful as those disciples, you might want to pray a better prayer. These are not the smartest guys in the world. They don't, they're not picking up on it. And mostly because Judas is a really good faker. Verse 29, for some were supposing because Judas had the money box that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we have need for for the feast or else that he should go give something to the poor. Look, did Judas never give money to the poor? No, they probably saw it. And this was a practice. He was going through the practice. He was giving to the poor. But he'd say, a dollar for you and a dollar for me, right? He's faking it. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately. And I love that John uses picture a lot, a theme of light and darkness, and he says it was night. And so Judas goes back, and he is chugging it. He is running to the chief priests, and he goes and betrays. I, I just see the picture of the door opening, Judas busting out, and he disappears into the night. He disappears into his sin. So he not only fooled the others, but... He was fooling himself. I want you to understand this morning and hear the voice of God. See, Jesus invites us to follow him from the inside out. Um, I think it's interesting because what takes place next in Matthew, if you look at Matthew 26, while they're eating, Jesus took some bread after blessing, he broke it. What he's doing is he's, he's taking the Lord's table. The, he's doing communion with his disciples. But this happens after Judas leaves. And I believe that in one of the most sacred moments with his disciples, Jesus did not want the presence of Satan and Judas in the room. And so once they exit and they go out and the betrayal is now underway, he takes the bread and he, he's looking at his disciples and he says, Take this. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take this cup and drink it and, and do this in remembrance of me. And this scene is so profound because one thing that, that we talked about as we were looking at this passage was Jesus on this night was betrayed not just once by Judas, but later on that night, Peter shows up and denies even knowing Jesus, an act of betrayal in its own right, so Jesus was betrayed a second time by people who are his close, close friends, his, his inner circle. But there's a difference because Peter, he messes up. He knows and the grief that he is overcome with. He outwardly messes up and he says, this is awful. And there's this restoration that takes place. But I, I want you to, to understand that we read later on, uh, in fact, even the, the, the subject title in my Bible, it says, The Remorse of Judas. After Judas has actually betrayed him and Jesus is there, Judas takes the 30 pieces of silver, he throws them back into the temple, and he, he feels remorse. But remorse is not the same as repentance. I want you to hear this. Judas was not sorry because he sinned. He was not sorry because he sinned. He was sorry because his sin did not satisfy him in the way that he had hoped. 
His sin did not get him to the place where he wanted to be. This is a Dave Mitchell quote. We never find in sin what we entered into sin to find. For Judas, it just started out with some pretty ambitious thoughts of what his life was going to look like. I'll attach myself to Jesus, and he's going to make me successful. He moved to disillusionment, and then he moved to betrayal. He went into sin, and then he didn't find in sin what he went into sin to find. And the truth, number two, is that sin always takes you farther than you thought you were going to go. I say this from experience, you know this from experience, that this is not how God wants us to live. And so what I want you to hear this morning is this. It takes courage to come out and to confess the part of your life and the part of your heart that is disillusioned with Jesus. It takes courage to come out and to say, I've been faking it for far too long and I don't want to do this. Because sin is not a slippery slope, it is a sheer cliff. It takes courage. And I want you to understand, and I want you to remember this word courage. The Latin root for courage is is the word core. it's, It's your heart. If you looked up in a dictionary hundreds of years ago, the definition of courage, when we think of courage, we think of heroics, and I start thinking Braveheart and Gladiator, right? And it's, it's to be a hero, to go out there and to slay the giants. But what it really meant a long time ago, courage was to speak the truth of one's whole heart. To speak the truth of one's whole heart. What is the place in your life that you need to come out and speak the truth and say, you know what? I'm not doing it. I'm not living the life authentically like I'm supposed to. Heroics is about putting our lives on the line. I believe that courage is about putting our vulnerability on the line. You might not be Judas because you are not betraying. You're not making fun of. You're not outside of the church looking at them saying, look how horrible. But it's, it's, it's that disbelief it's the doubt it's the disillusionment with jesus that we can attach ourselves to and we just we push him away or we use him to get where we want to and that's not the intention so i i want to encourage you and and we're going to do this in a couple of ways um we have prayer points right those are the signs over there maybe one of the most brave heroic courageous things you could do this morning is go over there and talk to somebody and just say i need prayer i've been faking it and maybe that's all you need to admit, and maybe you just want to, you need to get it all out. Maybe you need to turn to your spouse or your friends and say, I've been faking it, I need help. I also, as we respond, we come to the table here, and we have these stations all over the place, but when we think about the, the bread and the cup, for us to take this might be an opportunity for you to fake it. But when we think about communion, this is a place for us to be able to come and to confess our hypocrisy before the Lord and say, God, I don't want to live like this anymore. You died so that I could come out and I, I can be forgiven of this. Um, you can also fake it as you come over and, and you give. These are acts of, of what look like worship, but they can become acts of idolatry and we can believe ourselves that if we just do these things that we are okay and we're not faking it. I want you to get in touch with where your heart is at and what you believe 
about your relationship with Jesus and then just be honest. Have the boldness and courage to say, I am not cutting it. We want Calvary Church to be a place of followers, real, true life followers. So worship team's gonna come up. And I love the first song. The first lines, it just says, a thousand times I failed, but your mercy remains. Should I stumble again, I'm caught in your grace. I want to love you from the inside out. May that be the posture of your heart right now. Don't neglect this time with the Lord. We need this. Will you pray with me? Jesus, um, you come to us with such love and such grace and mercy, and you... You want us to come out of hiding. I think about Adam and Eve in the garden hiding in their shame and you called them out and you clothed them with your righteousness and you clothed them with your grace. You cover up their sin. Do that with us this morning. Help us to beat shame. The voice that says we are not worthy, that we don't belong because of what we are feeling and what we are doing on the inside. And let us be true. Let us be courageous as we get this out and we talk about it and we say, this is where we're at, and that you would meet us there. As we go through worship, as we go through responding, as we take the bread and the cup, Lord, please don't let these acts be acts that encourage us to believe that we're doing something on the outside that is the same as what's going on on the inside. Lord, if we see that our heart is divided, Lord, that we would address that and that we would do the work this morning that is necessary. Lord, we love you. Meet us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.